1: Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Kevin Hendrickson, He is the CEO of D-Gods, and we're going to explore how D-Gods and Dust Labs is being built and their business model, and I think you're going to find it absolutely fascinating. By the way, I'm at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter and at Web3 Examiner on Warpcast, and if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content because we've got some superstars coming on this show. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Kevin Hendrickson.
1: Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey. Here is this week's expert guide.
0: Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Kevin Hendrickson. If you don't know who he is, he's the CEO of Dust Labs a Web3 B2B software company that built the D-Gods and the Utes NFT projects. Dust Labs is building tech solutions for communities and brands. Kevin, I'm super excited to have you here today. How are you doing?
1: Awesome, Michael. Thanks for having me.
0: So today, Kevin and I are going to explore the D-Gods and the Utes project launch and the business lessons that we can gain from everything that these guys are building. Before we go there, I would love to hear your backstory, Kevin. How did you get into Web3, into NFT, start wherever you want to start?
1: Yeah, sure. You know, went to college, you know, for mechanical engineering, grew up on a pig farm. And so had this notion of always just building and working on things. And then going to college in the late 90s, the internet was just sort of fascinating. And it was my first time, you know, touching that sort of technology. And so kind of switched, at least mentally, to just working on software. Spent 20 years building software companies, mostly email companies. Along the way, sort of just discovered Bitcoin, right? Read the white paper, sort of was just fascinated with crypto. And for many years, sort of just collected coins or, or sort of, you know, was just part of, you know, learning more about it, right? It wasn't really like doing it as a job, but really just kind of learning, you know, broadly more about crypto and how it was useful. And in the early days in like 2017, when like crypto kitties came out and like the first couple NFTs and Ethereum I was just enamored again by the technology. And again, at the time, always approached it more from like really, really interesting technology and, and what, what was possible with that and sort of what, you know, could be achieved. Fast forward a few years, was working at a company called Instacart. As part of that, I, I met a, a gentleman named Rohan Bora, who's now Frank D. who's my co-founder on uh, both D. Labs and Dust Labs. And he was working on uh, a delivery business at the time, You know, a small startup at UCLA. We both went to UCLA, uh, me 20 years before him. And him and a few friends had started this sort of scooter delivery business around college campus, bringing snacks right into the dorms. So it was a really an interesting idea. Helped them sort of get into YC. They raised around 10 million bucks. Company's still running. They're they're like nine schools now. But during COVID, sort of took a hard pause. A lot of students left, and there was not a lot for that business. So Rohan Frank and a a few of the other folks left. They got really excited about crypto, and, and Frank was always just texting me. And so I kind of was like more of a mentor for him at the time, and just asking me interesting questions, telling me about cool stuff he was working on, just constantly looking at ideas for startups, both in Web two and then you know, as COVID kind of carried on and like more time in lockdown, really got into Web3, again, looking at different kinds of, you know, crypto coins, Bitcoin, etc. But then sort of was like, hey, you know, we, we should do an NFT project because lots of people are doing that. And they decided to launch it on Solana. That started the D-Gods project. And that was sort of the genesis for that. And, you know, he's like, hey, we're going to do it. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, he's like, we're doing it. Here it is, we're minting. And I was, you know, following along in the Discord and he'd call me after a week. Hey, we did this or that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I saw it in Discord. And so he was always just impressed that even though I had my normal full-time job, I still had time to kind of keep up and keep an eye on what was going on with DGods.
0: Real quick question. When you were at Instacart, what were you doing for the company?
1: Yeah, I ran engineering for the fulfillment and logistics team. And so basically everything after the order was taken, whether that was taken from the consumer app or that was, um, you know, injected by a third party. One of our partners, the retailers, would work on all the like routing, delivery, dispatch, um, sort of the economics behind what it took to make Instacart work. So everything from hire, hiring shoppers, discovering them, onboarding them, getting them set up, trained, and and figuring out how to like you know work a batch, all the way through getting them their work, um, and then all the pieces around that to sort of ensure that like which deliveries went to which shopper how many deliveries did you combine what are the most optimal routes and it was just a really really fun optimization problem and so had a few hundred engineers working on that in, in that um, division but you know it was called fulfillment and logistics which was basically the the quote unquote back end of instacart in terms of like what it took to get deliveries done.
0: So you're watching this guy that's known online as Frank right um, build this thing and you guys are messaging and stuff so keep going with the story like how did you end up getting involved more?
1: Yeah, and so like I would just fly down to LA. He'd be like, "Hey, we're working on something really interesting," and I would just go down to LA. I, we, you know, they were either in their apartment or in various Airbnbs. I just sleep on the couch. Or one time they was like a small house. They had like a movie theater, so I just slept in the movie theater with a couple of the artists. And again, we're just working weekends with them, really just learning more about what they were working on, but also trying to provide some more like business level guidance around like, "Hey, how could we structure this?" And Frank was like, "You should just come work on this. You should just come do this." And for me. It, I I hadn't seen in my mind the full picture of how it would work until this past summer in 2022 where we had started to get interest from investors and and he was like hey get asking me advice on that and then similarly other NFT projects were asking to use the technology that that we had built with D-Gods. and so that's where he sort of said hey why don't you you know come and figure that out and so that's where we sort of kind of came up with the idea for Dust Labs And to me, that made a bunch of sense where it's like, hey, the NFTs are incredible. And what we're learning is like, we're learning faster than any other team because, you know, building in this space. But to me, the big piece was like, how do we set this thing up so that we can go scale out lots of engineers on it, but also be able to deliver that technology, not just to NFT projects, but to brands and businesses and really bring Web3 crypto NFTs and all of the things that are sort of like decentralized blockchain to more businesses cuz i really believe that you know if you look at 5 to 10 years from now just like 20 years ago no business used the internet 10 years ago no business used social media my view is 10 years from now we'll look back and every business whether it's the main street 500 like all the little shops that you see on your you know in your local neighborhood all the way to the fortune 500 will have some version of blockchain crypto web3 integrated into their business whether that's through customer acquisition you know, marketing, communications, inventory tracking, cross-border payments, micropayments, incentivized sort of affiliate or like, you know, having these sort of like richly tied communities, kind of the next version of lifestyle marketing that we've talked a lot about in web two of like, how do you build a lifestyle brand where people are really connected to what you're doing in a way where they feel part of the brand? Web three takes that to the next level, really combines loyalty and ownership in a way that I've not seen before in businesses. And so that was really the genesis of the Dust Labs idea and, and what we're working on today.
0: Okay. So you basically started out as kind of an advisor slash friend, if you will, to Frank. And then eventually you came on board to really help grow the business is kind of what I'm hearing you say, right? So as of this recording in May, kind of bring us up to the present of what you've been able to help the company achieve in the last year since you've been in there.
1: Yeah, perfect. And so I think for us, You know, again, started in the summer, so we're like on month nine of Dust Labs, and I think we're able to kind of like do a lot of things, right? And so I think if you think about it from the community and what the NFTs have been able to do, that was just about the time that Ute's was launching, and so Ute's was the second collection from D God's the the D Labs kind of team, and Ute's was sort of in this stage where we had minted a tube, which was like the mint file that said, "Hey, there's you have the right to mint a Ute." Took many, many more months than we expected to kind of get the art finalized and. And finally released that in November. So art releases, Utes, you know, lots of fanfare. It was great because we had selected not just like, hey, we're gonna take the D Gods and move it to a baby collection. We really tried to move away from the branding around the project that was D-Gods as the initial project to Utes. And Utes was, in our view, like no sticks, no knives, no cigarettes, very clean, right? Just really, really simple, clean art. You know, we could partner with anything. We could partner with menswear companies, we could partner with if we wanted to, you know, baby clothes or diapers or, you know, Pampers or whatever, like any brand should sort of work with this art and this IP. And the idea was to make it a lot easier to sort of connect with these kind of brands that we felt would be the next kind of where we see this big adoption of Web3. And so as part of that built a lot of tools, right? So built staking, built rewards, built, you know, a variety of things to sort of help the community sort of connect with each other, lots of experiments. And I I think of really what, separates us from, I think, a lot of the teams is we think of everything we're doing as just an experiment. Like we're not done, we're so early. And so nobody's really reached true product market fit. And so much like you would build a web two SaaS startup where you're running experiments on the website, we're running that with the community. So different kinds of events, different kinds of activations, digital events like online. And then also like, you know, most recently, you know, here in, in the past month, we booked out you know, a third of the public hotel in Manhattan, where we had holders come all stay for a multi three-day sort of conference that aligned with NFT New York and was able to integrate both partners and customers and all the holders into one area and a bunch of little side events that spun off. But it was delightful, right? Holders were able to run into each other in the hotels. And that sort of goes back to this online community of many of them meeting for the first time, right? Very cool. And so I think those were... Some of the big key points around the sort of IRL and digital side. Today, we're working on season three of D-Gods, which is the art upgrade. So unlike a lot of NFT projects where they will start with just like, hey, we have a collection, we're going to make a new one. We've actually started this trend uh, with d where we would upgrade the art. So, hey, you have an NFT and you add another version of it, another version. And then, you know, in this new season, we're going to allow you to switch between those to pick which art you want. Again, using the technology that we have, to allow other brands and other projects to take advantage of that if they if they so choose.
0: Well, and yeah, and we should also mention for those that aren't familiar, you guys also bridged from Solana to Ethereum and from Solana to Polygon, which is no small undertaking. That was a monster undertaking, right?
1: Yeah, no, it, it was, a, was a big project. And I think for us, you know, again, it's an experiment, right? Like I think we grew to be, you know, at times 50, 60, 70% of all of the kind of volume and market share on the Solana blockchain. And so, you know, Dust Labs always had this idea that hey, we want it to be multi-chain, and we think of the blockchains serving purposes, and there's going to be ones that fit, you know, certain use cases, and, and ones that fit others. And for us, the goal for DGods is to be the absolute biggest and best NFT collection in the world. And today, most Web three people would agree that those are activities happening, or the, or the king of NFTs, we, you know, being Yuga, is on the Ethereum blockchain, and so Gods needed to move there. Utes we felt Polygon made a ton of sense for us, just as we had talked about our focus of connecting with brands, connecting with more enterprises that were, again, Polygon had already made a bunch of partnerships with them. We sort of bring that more community, sort of call it degen feel of really understanding that crypto native audience and how can we use those tools to help those brands, you know, accelerate their learning in Web3.
0: So there are a lot of different people listening to this podcast. There are some that work for brands that are some that are creators, kind of like Frank, you know, is really a super creative guy. And then, of course, you've got entrepreneurs who are leaving corporate America or the job to start a next trend or get involved with this Web3 concept. What's your take? Why should maybe Web3 and NFTs be something that people ought to consider? You've worked obviously in the big brand side of things, and now you're in the this new world. What's what's the benefits
1: in your mind? I really just think it it provides a really meaningful connection. So if you're building a product and you're saying, "Hey, I'm going to go sell this product," and we've seen this in advertising and marketing, you know, I've worked on a lot of websites in the past, and you have these affiliates or you have different ways of running advertisements. I mean, you look at Google, Facebook, Twitter. They're advertising businesses at the end of the day. They they, you know, connect buyers and sellers in a very simplistic way. And I think there's a lot of inefficiency in that, right? And and you've seen the other side of that where these lifestyle brands have built really strong followings on whether it's building coffee or clothing or you know, some other physical products, they've built these followings that are on other people's platforms, right? So they've built a following on Instagram. they built a following on Twitter. I've spent a lot of time in in sort of the the broader digital marketing space, if you want to call it that. And it's always this sort of relationship where the product or the brand is not necessarily sort of like building that themselves. And Web3 allows you to sort of like, you know, build an audience or a community. And I think a lot of what we're seeing in some of the creators moving off of YouTube or, or moving off of Twitter to really like own your audience. And I don't know if that's the right way to you know, think about it for a brand, but just having a deeper connection with the people that are customers of your product um, and thinking of them more as a community. right? So it really allows that aligned incentive where it's like if I'm buying a pair of shoes or I'm buying you know, a physical product, I have a vested interest in that company being successful and continuing to support me and being able to use Web3 to make that connection, I think is pretty valuable. I think the other place I've seen you know, really good early indications of success is this notion of like loyalty and right, like, hey, somebody's done this many actions on my company, they've purchased this many versions of my product, or they've listened to this many versions of my song, if I'm an artist or went to this many of my concerts, you know, having a way to track that, and then allowing that creator, whether it's an artist or a company or a product to then reward the most loyal, you know, holders in a way that's like, a little harder to fake, right? Because I do think that like a lot of the traditional loyalty programs or you know, punch. If you think of back when I was a kid, you'd have the punch card and you'd, you know, get four punches or ten punches and you'd get a free sandwich or a free smoothie. Like th- those are a little harder to to replicate and they're not tradable. There's no way to like, you know, hey, I only have seven punches, I give it to my friend, they get the last three, they get the free sandwich. Web three solves a lot of these problems in a pretty delightful technology way, and that part of it is what I've got excited about. And I think when you see these new technologies come out, the innovation is twofold. One is to get that technology out, sort of understand what it can do. But the real value gets added is when you take this new technology and actually apply it to existing businesses, right? Much like we're seeing with the early days of of AI today, really, really interesting. AI has been around for decades, right? Arguably getting more popular in the last decade, incredibly popular in the last year because it's now easy for a lot of users to access it, we're seeing people apply that to their business. Web3 is no different, right? Incredible growth when it first comes out, you see all these early adopters playing with it, doing what I would describe as like native projects that are just expanding what's possible. but the real value built and the real sort of like shift in productivity, shift in efficiency happens once that starts to you know reach businesses that are already at scale, right? saving 5 or 10% or even 100% on a business that's brand new is not super interesting. Saving 5 or 10% on General Electric or General Motors really really interesting. Um, you know, doing that on the Marriott hotel chain, right? How could we, you know, apply some of the efficiencies that we've seen in loyalty and crypto into them could make a really big difference.
0: Well, you you know, Instacart when you were there, you could have proposed to Instacart that they buy out a hotel and invite a bunch of people there, but you know, it wouldn't have been the same effect. First of all, good luck selling out the hotel, right? Even if it is a big food conference. And secondly, I would imagine you've experienced a level of loyalty with the D-Gods project that is kind of unparalleled to your traditional brand experience. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you think about what we saw in the shopper community, right? And that community obviously started when Instacart was early in the days, but through COVID, I mean, we hired like 1.5 million shoppers in those first few weeks of COVID, um, which was just insane, right? The number of people coming in, but a lot of them, you know, churned off over the years as kind of like business went back down or it wasn't as like, you know, um, the, the orders weren't as high, you know, when people sort of weren't able to go back to the grocery store and didn't, it wasn't the fear of like, yeah, I couldn't leave my house. But I do think like building loyalty into a, in a way where they actually felt ownership could have improved upon the like, both the relationship with Instacart shoppers and and Instacart customers. And some of them were both, right? We had shoppers that were customers and and vice versa, but there would have been a really interesting sort of aligned incentive that was more than just, Hey, I get a tip or, Hey, you know, this shopper is rotating off. Um, And I think web three could have really changed the way that that was built to your point. Like that, you know, we would have a shopper meetups and we would have get togethers or do, join on group calls and they would care. They would want to give feedback and they would care. But the level of like connection and the level of like caring that that we feel in D-Gods and Utes is very different. Like they actually, they they care so much and, and to the point where they will give like really strong voiceful uh, criticism or feedback because they they feel like they kind of are part of the team and, and they and they really have this like, very very aligned incentive for both to be successful where i think at the end of the day like the shoppers on instacart still it was kind of a job it was like giving feedback to my boss or to like the team that i you know was working with but it didn't have that same connection and we saw this with uber right when uber went public they had some share grants to some of the you know bigger drivers and the level of excitement and connection that they felt i'm sure was very different than folks that didn't qualify for that grant right now imagine web3 where you don't have to just pick the top 10% of shoppers or the top 10% of drivers. And you can actually, you know, find aligned incentives all the way down to somebody who's literally done one shop, one drive for one of these gig economy type things. I think that, you know, could lead to a better outcome, you know, as future companies build with that that model in mind.
0: I think that this is just a fascinating new way to do business, right? Which is to basically give the community, an opportunity to have a financial upside, right? Which is kind of what Web3 makes possible, specifically with NFT projects. Okay, back to the to DGods. I know that you came on full-time after DGods was launched, but my guess is you were very involved with the strategy and you're aware of what happened when the launch of DGods originally went off. Can you kind of share with me, like, what was the goal and what was the objective back when you guys launched DGods as far as the strategy?
1: Honestly, I think when when Frank and, and the team like there's a bunch of friends, and they were just like, "Let's just try. Let's just see what happens." And I think the the strategy, uh, I, I think at some levels, very similar today. Just it's an experiment. We're not sure if this is going to work. And I think even today, like as we you know have seen a lot more success, the early strategy was really just try something and uh, and find out, right? And and I and I do think it's that almost like naive feeling of like just literally trying. And being incredibly attuned to listening to feedback, right? And it's one of the, I think, hallmarks of what the team's done really well is that having the right people, but also having this like deep emotional connection and understanding of the feedback you're getting and saying like, if people are hating on you or giving you FUD or saying mean things, it's not because they actually hate you or want to say mean things. They actually care so deeply that it's that emotional response that's coming out. And so I think the strategy has continued to be informed by that feedback um, and also watching what other teams are doing. Like Even today, one of the things we discussed deeply in the team chats is that when we see another team do a launch, and this is not only bigger teams, but smaller teams, new teams, or we see somebody come out and do something different, we watch how their reaction is. Like, What did they do right? What did they do wrong? What are people saying they appreciate about that or what, are they, or what um, could be better? And we try to take that to inform our own decisions. Because a lot of times the, and and you said this, like when there's an ownership stake or there's you're feeling that you're aligned, if somebody does something wrong, it, it, it's like the difference of like when you're, you know, a renter versus an owner, right? If you're an owner and somebody like, you know, tears up your lawn or like, or, or you know, does something to your, you know, you have a deeper connection. You're like, man, this this passion for like, this is my lawn and I own this and like, I'm very passionate about like picking up trash and like keeping my like curb clean in front of my house. Where sometimes renters get the vibe of like ah, it's a, it's not mine. I'll let it go. Or you know, I'm just walking through the neighborhood. I don't mind throwing something or letting my dog you know go on somebody's lawn and not picking it up. And I do think that Web three creates this level of connection that is deeper than even the financial sort of like how I own part of this or I'm an investor or I own a share of stock. Because look, I mean we've had where people can go buy shares of stock for a long time, but the personal sort of community connection that people feel. So I think it is taking the best parts of like these most exclusive social clubs and connecting it with like, how do you actually connect and build friendship through that, but also have an aligned sort of like passion for like what the team's working on. Somebody says something bad about me or Frank on on Twitter today, you will see holders jump in and defend it, right? Like in a way that like, you talked about the my favorite car or my favorite pair of sneakers. That's sort of like you don't get that same reaction, right? And I do think Web3 has enabled that in a in a way that I've never seen before. And for me, it's one of the ways that I just, you know, wake up every Monday excited to kind of come to work on this stuff, knowing that there's an energy there that, you know, we can continue to lean into and learn from. And I I know for a fact, as dealing with businesses for for 20 years that you know, businesses would love to have that level of like passionate community giving feedback. And the best thing that I can compare it to is I've always liked, even though I traditionally have run big engineering teams, I always liked running support. And I had, the, and normally in like companies, that like, oh, like support's the thing that like we keep them downstairs. We, you know, that keep them off the phone lines. Don't bug the rest of the team, like just do support. And for me, support is this opportunity when somebody calls in or you report a support issue, it's because you care. Like if you hate the product and you're going to stop using it, you throw it away, you cancel, you defraud the charge. But if you call support, you actually want them to do something. You actually care. And to me, I always felt that that was the best feedback. It's the kind of sales call where they're calling you to give you you know, improvements to your product. And I think Web3 enables like a very deep part of that.
0: I love the fact that you have an experiment mindset that your team does, because that is really... I think really useful for anyone who's thinking about starting a project, because when you run an experiment, it might not work. Right. So you come at it with the presupposition that it might fail and you'd be okay with that. Right. Versus we're putting everything on the line. And if it fails, we're going out of business. Right. It's really, really, really wise. And I love how much experimenting your brand is done. I want to talk about some of the things that might be eye openers to folks that don't understand some of these things like building in public and hold their expectations and being graded all the time. Let's start with building in public because this is a very different mentality than what you experienced inside the, business, the brand world, right? What did people need to understand about building in public and some of the lessons maybe you've learned from it?
1: Yeah, the building in public thing is, you know, I think there's two versions of it. Cause like some of the early startups I was involved in were open source startups. And so like in there you were in a sense building in public cause the code was public. I was part of open source communities contributing to projects. And then you were having like forums or like what I would call like web two ways of engaging. And so there was a, a sense of publicness to that. I think the difference today is that the speed of communication of the new platforms and the ability to like have feedback, both negative and positive, go incredibly viral, incredibly quickly makes it the pressure higher, right? So when we'd make a mistake or do something bad or release something that made the, the customer's unhappy in an open source world, you'd have like a long thread of people just kind of debating it kind of like internet style in a relatively private thing because the, the forums were sort of private. You had to log in. There, it wasn't going viral in that sense. Where today, if Gods or Dust Labs does something or I or Frank say something that, you know, whether it's on this podcast or, or show or wherever else, people will clip that. They will post it on Twitter. It will get thousands of likes or and thousands of shares and potentially hundreds of thousands of views i mean our properties get tens of millions of views every month across our different twitter accounts and that level of like attention cuts both ways so when you do something good and people are celebrating it feels amazing lots of endorphins everybody's hyped dopamine's good similarly though when something even if you're like made an honest mistake or it was misinterpreted it's very easy to soundbite something that you know, could be construed as negative or gets a negative or bad take. And that also goes viral. And so I think what I've learned is, you know, sort of what you would learn in any kind of like anger management or, you know, sort of like courageous conversations type class. Let
0: it go. Is that the idea? Don't take it personal?
1: Yeah, don't take it personal. But also this notion of like, take a breath, like, and Frank's really incredible. He's like, when, when you hear something negative or see it, The reaction is not what the words they're saying. Put yourself in that people's shoes. And what are they, what is the emotion telling you? Oh, they're mad because they think their thing is not going to be worth as much. Or they think that they're not going to get into an event that you're hosting. Or they feel that they deserved something more than what they got. Or they felt that, hey, this person got, you know, something was unfair. And it could be unfair to them. It could be unfair to a peer or a holder. And that is the, the piece that I think when you look at it from that eye, you realize that the intent is mostly positive, even though there are a handful of people that, you know, are the bad apples that, you know, have this negative view in life. But I'm sure we've all run into people in family, extended family or friends that just someday kind of wake up on the wrong side of the bed and are a bit grumpy. So don't take it personal. I think also just try to understand what, you know, what is it that they're trying to tell you and extract that goodness out of that feedback and saying, like, hey, I, I hear you. And a lot of times that. Honestly, it's one of the best ways to you know, say, hey, I'm listening. I'm here. I'm in the thread. You're talking about me publicly as if I'm not in the room, but I'm here. And I, and I just jump into the thread and say, yeah, I appreciate you. We're listening. That's good feedback. We could have done better. That'll defuse a lot of these conversations. And, and then, you know, honestly, take that feedback to heart. I think most people are rational and they realize that we get 100 or 1,000 times the amount of feedback is that we can actually react to and, and change. Um, but if they if they see you listening and they see you sort of, you know, out there and, and you know, continuing to embrace this public knowledge uh, and, and public effect, they're usually okay with it.
0: Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about holder expectations, because it seems like NFT holder expectations are even higher than stockholder expectations, you know, from public companies. Right. And this grade concept. Talk to me a little bit about this.
1: Yeah. I think the NFTs have created this sense of a little bit of righteousness and sort of like the, the community members, you know, and, and again, I liken it to like an HOA in some levels. Like, if you know, if you've ever been part of an HOA, you're like, I own it. I'm paying my dues. You need to do this for me. Or like, you need to go paint the lawn or you're not working on my street and you're working on, you know, they're fixing that street and not painting the flowers on this side. And so I do think that there's a version in these sort of like communities where you're once you're in the community, you act a little defensive to those outside of it. But you also become a little bit like greedy, is one way to describe it in terms of like the energy in the room, right? And, you know, I, I've been a part of some clubs and and similar, it's even volunteer organizations, right? You have a bunch of people volunteering for a board or for a community to help like a farm or something cool. And then what you see is people are like, well, I'm on the board. I deserve this or I need that. And we're like, man, we're all volunteers. We're all doing our best. And I think there's a, a sense of holders having a higher bit of entitlement and just, you know, that sense of, Again, the internet makes this easy because every time you log into Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, there's something new and exciting. And as a holder, uh, and Frank says this best, he's always like, their view is like, why is my project not the first thing I see when I log into that platform, right? And that's pretty unrealistic to imagine that you're always viral and you're always on top of the Twitter feed. But there's an expectation that they're like, I want to feel good that I'm part of the community that's getting the most press, the most popularity that I'm part of the cool kids. And one view of the cool kids is that your stuff is like shared on Twitter and your stuff is viral all the time. So it creates this sort of one refresh. I want to see myself. I want to see that I'm part of the project that I should be part of and I deserve to be here. And so that creates this expectation for like the team should go do something exciting. You know, you guys should launch something because it's been 72 hours since I've seen really, really exciting (laughs) viral threads. And it's not realistic. That that
0: puts some serious pressure on you guys, doesn't it? I mean, like when you went into this role, you were probably like, man, you have to have like a Iron Man armor on you to be able to survive in this kind of situation, right?
1: Yeah, it does. Again, it, it takes a bit to get used to that level of it. But again, like it's balanced because at the same time, I can say something as simple as feed the pigs, which is kind of lore from my childhood, but also like something on the team and they'll get hundreds or thousands of likes. And so like it cuts both ways. So like, you know, small things can go very positively viral and it feels good to have like a lot of people sort of watching the project. Um, But it it comes, it comes with at a cost uh, when, when things are not working out. And so, you know, having some levity about like your, you know, your interactions on Twitter and, And some days I have other things to do at work to like work on the business or, or plans or write documents. I can't always be on Twitter.
0: Yeah. You know, I've, we've had someone from Kevin Rose's team on here and, you know, proof collective has is faced a lot of, a lot of arrows, you know what I mean? And it's really, really hard, I think. And I've heard Kevin talk about this, you know, it's really hard to build in public in these kinds of situations, but I'm optimistic that over time, you know, as the industry matures and as people are not simply looking at these as investments to flip, but looking at them as opportunities that have long-term advantages. And that's, this is like a transition to my next question is like building for the long term. I'd love you to talk a little bit about how Utes was strategic for the long term. Like, you know, you guys did things a little differently than other projects, right? You came up, like you mentioned a little bit of it, but like help everybody understand like the strategy behind Utes and why this is going to set you guys up for a long-term objective.
1: Yeah, I think the idea for Utes started off with this notion of being more inclusive. And so rather than doing what a typical crypto project would do first or second, where it's like, hey, you, you know, pick some friends to be in the white list that are going to get this, or you launch the thing in a fair launch where it's the fastest finger, we actually ran this scholarship. And so the idea was you had to kind of apply to get one of the slots to minta Utes. And that notion allowed about 70,000 people to apply for 3,000 spots and really cast a wide net, right? We accepted a lot of celebrities and a lot of people that were excited to be part of it for whether it's for cloud or just because they, you know they had the awareness to get in. But on the other side, we accepted many, many people with like less than 20 followers, tons of people with less than 100 followers that were not famous on, on Twitter, but, you know, for whatever reason, you know, had really strong backgrounds, right? They shared their portfolio with us for artists, creatives, entrepreneurs, business builders. We really wanted to find a really diverse and inclusive audience to kind of kickstart the youths community in a way that brought. People that typically weren't going to be in an NFT project, right? They were maybe adjacent to it or sort of interested, and so that started off the kind of discussions where in Gods, maybe they're talking about you know the price of some coin or or hey what's this trade or what's the latest happenings in crypto for months. The most common topic in the Utes Discord was like what you had for dinner and breakfast. People were talking about food and sharing recipes, right? Which is not normal what you think about when you think of like a Web three sort of like NFT community. So that was I think one thing was like really trying to help diversify and curate the folks that got into youths.
0: Just real quick, so people understand, how many holders, how many youths are there compared to D-Gods? Just so people can understand the math on that.
1: Yeah, there's 15,000 youths and there was 10,000 D-Gods. And so, 3,000 of those youths came in through scholarships. Around 2,000 came in through peer communities where we allowed them to sort of nominate other communities to be part of it and then distribute that to their holders. And then 10,000 came from D-Gods. If you held a D-Gods, you were able to get into youth. So it had D-Gods plus another 5,000 additional that we granted to come in as part of the expansion.
0: So it was a free NFT basically for just about everybody is what I'm hearing you say, right? Yes. Cool. So you're going to continue with some other stuff related to youth?
1: The next piece was just as we learned about brands and you know learning from D-Gods, a lot of people were like, oh, D-Gods has this kind of masculine feel or frat club feel or Hey, some of the last art had like sticks and knives. It, like my brand is a cleaner brand, and it you know it, it talks to children or it's more female focused, and like that didn't fit D gods. And so like we really wanted to make Ute's this sort of like Sesame Street vibes kind of character that was like, hey, it's just friendly. It can be your friend. It's out exploring the world, and we think that is a you know we called it you know the home for the youths was Utopia, uh, in, in season one. Now, season two, you know, some of the exciting stuff there is Utopia was a lie, and we're going to take that in a different direction. But the first version of that was really just this happy place where everybody was included and and could be part of it. Um, And that fit really well with a lot of the brand conversations. When we launched, you know, typically an NFT project will get a couple sub-DAOs, right? These are like small groups inside of a, you know, the 10,000 D-Gods. There's like D-Golf. There's like D-Stables. We have like little groups. So golf's interested in golfing. Stables is interested in horse racing. When we launched Utes, we went from like zero to like 35 clubs. So really had this notion of like allowing people to to collaborate around the traits and the different really clean art. And now those clubs are out, you know, building little mini businesses, whether it's with merch or other partnerships. And for us, that was like, we hoped that would happen, but it was really cool to see that happen. And that's kind of kickstarting where we are today, which is now connecting with much much bigger brands that have come into web3 many of them have partnered with polygon and so we're you know starting with that group to sort of expand our reach not into in traditional bands but also traditional gaming companies so i spent a lot of time in korea a couple months ago met with a ton of gaming companies and metaverses there where they're again pretty early in sort of adopting some of the web3 tech and and really looking for some cool partnerships there the youths partnership just partners better right putting a youths in a game much more universal than you know finding the right D God to put in a game as an example. So we really wanted to design that to be composable and inclusive.
0: And I should have disclosed earlier that I am a D God holder. I bought it back when the Sam Bankman Freed crash happened and Solana was only $10, which is a great time to get in. I'm curious how you guys are actually funding all this stuff. If the Utes was a free drop and I don't know, it, commissions obviously are, creator commissions are harder to actually, you know, are you guys just living off the initial NFT launch or did you end up taking funding? Can you speak to how you guys are actually growing financially?
1: Yeah, for sure. So yeah, the initial NFT mint for DGods and then the subsequent art upgrades, that was the initial treasury. The also, a lot of royalties, like you said, in the early days, there was a, DGods had a 10% royalty, actually 9.9% royalty. And so that generated a good bit of revenue that, again, we invested basically all back into the team, to hiring more people, to building, to running events. Fast forward to today, as part of the Dust Labs raise, we actually raised uh, funding. Um, so we've announced $7 million in funding. And so part of that was raised in token, and then part of that was raised from venture capitalists. And all of it was raised from venture capitalists, part of it on a safe note, so equity in Dust Labs. And then D-Labs continues to be funded by primarily today royalties. And then a small grant that we got from Polygon as part of the migration.
0: So Dust Labs, talk to me a little bit about Dust Labs versus D-Labs. It sounds like D-Labs is managing the NFT projects and Dust Labs is the software company. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Easiest way to think about it is D-Labs is sort of art services, right? So they have the creative brains behind D-Gods and Utes. All the artists work for D-Labs and then Dust Labs provides the technology that D-Gods and Utes needs to build these popular NFT collections, we also sell that technology as SaaS services to other NFT projects and other brands. And so the idea is that today, D-Labs really focuses on those two main collections, D-Gods and Utes, where Dust Labs not only helps build the technology for D-Gods and Utes, we're able to leverage what we've learned and take that to other projects and help them, whether it's the Explorer, whether it's our scholarships tool whether it's staking, rewards, and then events and platforms and things we've built around that. So all the community stuff that we've built, we take those learnings, we encode them and build them into a SaaS like white labelable solution that then we can leverage. And that is really where this becomes sort of like a global CRM that we're building that will then power what we believe to be some of the most impactful brands as they adopt Web3. Much like if you look at Salesforce or HubSpot today, if you think about a, a, a company launching um, a product or a service, they need some type of CRM to work with their customers, right? In Web3, it's a little bit more unique because of the notion of how to interact with the blockchain and wallets and things of that nature. And so really that's where we're spending most of our time innovating on the software side, really trying to refine how would it be so that you could log into a website just like I log into HubSpot and manage my leads for email addresses and phone numbers. What would that look like in a Web3 world Where you're not just managing wallets, but really want to understand the social connections of the people as part of your community. How do you do campaigns? How do you you know run an event and host that? And does the event part digital? Is it part IRL? And that sort of like mix is something that historically we've not really seen in traditional CRM software, and so we feel that that's a lane that we can focus on, and really just acting as that application layer above the various blockchains, unclear who will win in the long term. I think there'll be many winners and then, you know, sort of building really slick consumer facing UI.
0: I love this. Can you explain what the Explorer and the, the, so the scholarships thing sounds like you've created that scholarship thing that you did with those thousands of youths that we were talking about into a service. So someone else could essentially employ it. And as far as rewards and Explorer, explain what that is. And then, also, are these services now ready for everyday people, or are you mostly working with brands on this?
1: Explorer is really just a way to explore the, the collection, right? When you know you have a D God or I have a Ute or a D God, and you see it, people will look at it and say, "Oh, it's got this hat or this trait." But it's really hard to understand, like, what are all the traits? Like, there's 140 traits in D Gods, and so Explorer really just makes it really easy to sort of see that. And what you typically see on a an NFT marketplace is you just see all of the actual final, you know, ones that are listed, right? You're like, oh, here's all the ones that people have put up for sale, you know, just like you're browsing OpenSea or Magic Eden or Blur. Now you're able to actually say, hey, what is all of the the collection, right? Not just the ones that are listed on the marketplace, but I want to see the ones that aren't listed. What's the highest rank? What is the leaderboard? Which traits, you know, are trading for the most value? And so that's just a really good way to help expose the broadest of the community Staking is basically a simple way to say, hey, you know, and Moonbirds has this, they call it nesting, which is where you take your NFT, you essentially delegate it back to the team or the community, and then allow yourself to earn rewards, right? In Moonbirds' case, they earn access to grails or additional art. In DGods and Ute's case, they earn points, and then those points will be redeemed in a reward center. And those could be redeemed for merch, they could be redeemed for discounts. And so we have not launched the publicly the reward center part yet. That will be coming soon. Um, But the idea there is you can imagine a lot of brands that we work with aren't ready to mint a collection, right? You mint a collection on the blockchain. It's very permanent in Web3 where our reward center will allow you to say, hey, I've got a community like DGods or Utes. We know they're very, very activatable. They're very active on Twitter. They're very public with what they're doing. As a company, I could come in and say, hey, I want to just offer free burritos or a quest to say, if you visit, you know, my burrito shop twice, we'll give you a burrito for free. That could be a reward, right? And as the holders, or you could say, hey, I want all the holders to be able to come to my sandwich shop and get a free sandwich. Those are pretty cool, simple rewards that can test what's viable for you as a community, but also be able to understand, hey, does the Web3 community really think that's like valuable for what I'm doing? Then when you go to mint your collection, you've kind of pre tested some of these rewards and some of this utility. Maybe it's access to a social club. Maybe it is access to a race or to an event. Like all of these things we've seen brands test. But what happens is if they've already minted the project or they're, you know, maybe it's tied to a TV show. If they've already done the mint and then that utility just doesn't get marketed correctly, it's kind of like a failure and it's really hard to walk back from that. And so for us, Reward Center allows these brands to kind of test before you sort of like commit to to minting a project. And and we think that is going to be a pretty interesting way for more and more brands to try out Web3 or dip their toe in this loyalty game without necessarily minting something on the blockchain that now people start to trade and they're like, oh, it's worth less than it was. And that just makes the brand look bad.
0: So is this eventually going to be like a self-service thing? But right now you guys are working specifically with brands. Is that how it works?
1: Yeah. So we're working with design partners right now. Dugods and Utes are obviously the two biggest design partners. We have a handful of other brands that we haven't announced yet, but eventually, yes, we will turn it on self-serve. You can sign up, you can mint your own collection, you can run scholarships, you can use all of these tools. um, And that'll be something that we provide, you know, as a monthly service.
0: Very cool. Man, this has been awesome. Kevin Hendrickson, also known as Kevin D. Gods on Twitter. Thank you very much for answering all my questions. It's just a fascinating business model you are building If people want to reach out to you, do you have a preferred social? And if so, what is it? And then if they want to find out more about what you're doing over at Dust Labs, where do you want to send them?
1: Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, I appreciate you having the time. So very simple. It's Kevin D. God's on Twitter, dustlabs.com for all the website stuff, explains all the different products that we're working on today. And I really do appreciate you and the listeners for having me on.
0: Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W75. And if you're new to this show, be sure to follow us so you don't miss any of our amazing content. Just click that follow button on your favorite podcast app. And would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Mike underscore Stelsner on Twitter and at Web3Examiner on Warpcast. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelsner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. And may Web3 continue to change.
1: Your world. The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research.
0: Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.